Best in Chat Radio, designed just for you. Welcome to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, a weekly look at the buzz in technology, drones, autonomous cars, Internet of Things, and everything else in between, exclusively on America's Web Radio each Wednesday from 2 to 3, and podcasts available for download. With that, I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. Follow me on Twitter. And I'm an attorney with the Atlanta office of Hall Booth Smith. And while I enjoy working for the law firm, I am not your attorney. In this case, this show is not intended to provide legal advice. So if you need a lawyer, hire one. And with that, let's, you know, it wouldn't be the weekend after or the week after the 4th of July without all kinds of cool videos from drones capturing footage of fireworks and everything from up above. And luckily, I haven't heard of too many uh, incidences of drones flying where they shouldn't and crashing in. But in a let's just call it the buzz of why we can't have nice things category. We have another one to add in. And I haven't seen the video yet, but there was a, another jack wagon has decided to put a gun on a drone and show off their marksmanship skills. And as we discussed on an earlier episode of Buzz Off with Ryan English from Lansing Tactical, shooting at a drone is just not the way to go. It's logistically a difficult shot with too much collateral damage in addition to, well, being illegal. Let's add to that now shooting from a drone. Uh, If you have made it at home just like homemade fireworks, it's a bad idea. Don't do it. So, you know, it just why we can't have nice things fasten your seatbelt, you know somebody's going to get a hold of that video, and next thing you know, have a lot more restrictions against how and what you can do with your drone. And really, as the FAA released their rules, and we talked about that as well a few weeks ago on the show, under the new rules, you're going to see the industry is going to be opening up, whereas in 2012, Congress and the FAA clamped down on commercial drones and really took a measured approach at figuring out how to do this and opening the floodgates one drip drop section 333 exemption at a time. But contrast that with autonomous cars, driverless cars. And really what you've seen is the industry didn't necessarily wait around for permission they just started doing it, for better or worse, rolling them out. And as one of my guests on the show today has previously disclosed, he owns one of the cars and frequently uses the autonomous feature. And we'll get into that, but really taking a look today at, so what happens when you have an industry that's developing itself and right for the moment, until Congress steps in, is making up the rules as they go along, and you see different approaches emerging. So when you're taking the driver out of the driverless cars and the autonomous cars, what happens? 
And so with me today, I've got and will welcome Tom Cross, CTO for Drawbridge Networks. And as well, Rob Graham will be is returning CEO of Errata Security and a Tesla owner. So with that, we'll get we'll jump right in of all right, Rob, can you explain to us a little bit about how I mean, I understand with a drone it's essentially a fancy model aircraft and it quadcopter fixed wing i know how it's doing and i'm in control for the most part unless i've got an autonomous mode but a car is a completely different functionality how would you just best describe it i mean as someone who owns a tesla and uses this feature is it re- i mean there's no giant remote control guiding it along so um, I think there's a misconception that people think that the Tesla autopilot feature is the same as a self-driving car. And it's really more of an advanced cruise control rather than the full shebang. I'll say, and it's worth noting, it's still in beta mode, so to no. speak. No? Well, so Tesla calls it beta because for, for legal reasons. Darn those lawyers. So it's like the early internet when you had all these websites that had signs saying still under construction. So, but then we realized in later web eras that all websites are always under construction. So there's never a point when a website's not under construction. So the same is with with self-driving cars and all these autonomous features is they're always in beta mode. They're always being developed and finished and completed. And for legal reasons, we want to say, well, any any bug in our code is your fault for having used it and not no one's ever going to take responsibility and say, hey, the bugs in our code are our fault. Well, of course not. And, Tom, that's crossing into a little bit of your areas of expertise, which is what to do when you find a bug in code and when to disclose it. I mean, I think it's very obvious in some of the recent uh, reports with the gentleman who unfortunately lost his life uh, in a Tesla where they realized after the fact, well, the sensors that we're using for guidance couldn't distinguish between a pale sky and a pale colored truck. I mean, how do you identify them with before you get to the fatal accident and then how do you report it but Tom I'd really like to hear some of your thoughts on that initial how do you report it well so the, you, you start when you're developing these products with with um, you know whatever scenarios you can come up with in, in, in your laboratory environment but the fact is that you're not going to be able to simulate every possible corner case in the real world and so eventually you've got to put these things out there um, and uh, and start using them in the real world and developing confidence with them and eventually having people uh, use them. But as, as Rob said, you're, you're never going to get to the point where you're done tweaking and refining and addressing edge cases. <clears throat> it's a process that will go on forever. And so, <clears throat> first of all, these, these vehicles have to be 
uh, updated on a regular basis, and that's a whole big question. We're not we're not used to getting our oil changed. We're not used to getting our car software updated, uh, and the uh, and so you know users are going to find problems as they use the these cars, and and they're going to hopefully report them to to uh, to the uh, uh, software co- the company that makes the car, the software company now that makes the car. Um, but then you have this whole other side of things where um, there, there's uh, there's corner cases that might exist naturally in the real world, and then there's a question of what someone who's malicious might do um, to to intentionally confuse the car or create conditions that um, uh, that that induce the car to do the wrong thing um, intentionally uh, and and you know what are the risks of that happening and if you know how to do that how do you inform the uh, the car manufacturer and how does the car manufacturer inform the public um, there's a lot of sticky questions around that well and Rob you have your car, your Tesla, do you get, I mean, I get a warning light if, you know, services due in a couple thousand miles. Is it the same concept that you've seen with your car, or is it still in the shiny new car phase you haven't seen those as much? Well, it's it's all software, and so the software will tell you if there's a flaw that you need to call the service agency. It puts up a, not a warning light, but a message on the screen. So it, the Tesla's got this big 17-inch computer screen off to one side, and a smaller one is the dashboard. When there's anything it needs to tell you, it does so in big letters. Well, and how easy it to, is it to switch on? Is it to go into the uh, self-driving mode? Is it like cruise control? You flip a switch? Uh, you go First of all, you need to go into the settings, and there's a big screen next to you where you go into the settings and you say, I want to turn on this beta, quote-unquote, as we say it's not really beta, auto-drive feature, and uh, it gives you a legal document, basically, to say, agree to the fact that you're, go- you're responsible, that you're the one in control, that you've got your hands on the wheel at all times, even though you're not going to because you're going to be you know, you know, browsing Facebook on your phone. And uh, so you agree to that. And, and uh, I'll say, and you've read the entire thing from uh, beginning to end. It was only like two paragraphs. It's not a huge legal document. Um, and then when you're driving along, you just press a button. There's a little stick on the left right below the uh, the windshield wipers and the left and right signal where you say go into autopilot mode. And at that point, uh, it will start steering for you and accelerating and braking for you. Now, do you pre-program what speeds, or is it able to no. gauge what type of road you're on based on your GPS location? Among the things that it does is it will read the speed sign as you drive by. And in addition, in theory, it's got GPS where it will store and remember what the, what the speeds are at various locations. So, And you can speed up and slow down like normal cruise control. If you, if you want to drive faster, of course, everyone does. Um, you can speed up. I was going to ask, uh, you know, I'm not admitting I have a lead foot, knock on wood. No one's listening who's seen me driving. But really, what happens? Is it is the onus on you if you are going faster than, I mean, can you program it, tell it to go faster than the speed limit? You can. It On city streets, it's limited to, I think, 10 miles an hour above the, the speed limit. On the freeway, it's limited if there's no limit. You can go as fast as you want. Well, and one of the things we saw last year kind of was the big banner year for it, but the research had been slowly building where the uh, Chris and Charlie had demonstrated what happens with a Jeep Cherokee, that it's a computer system when you when you give your car over to the machine, so to speak, when it, it relies so heavily, 
that means researchers, but also is Tom, you mentioned that malicious actors can start to have a field day unless everything's been locked down, secured, but is anything ever really secure? Well, of course not, right? It's a process. And so it's, but I, I mean, I think that, that um, we shouldn't be afraid of these technologies. I, I think that there's a great deal of, of promise associated with autonomous vehicles and semi-autonomous vehicles. They greatly reduce the, the amount of effort that you have to put into driving, which frees you up to potentially to do other things, uh, you know, to, to work during your commute, uh, perhaps. And so Work on to, Facebook during your commute. Yeah, to, to, <laughs> to, to socialize with your friends on the internet while, while you're supposed to be driving. Um, there's there's huge not value that y'all are doing that when you're not in autonomous or self driving no, mode, right? Not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, no, but I hope to, right? Like, I'd like to be able to go on vacation a, f- a few hours drive and and spend my time getting there working on something instead of driving the car. Which and Rob, what you've described with Tesla is a very interactive uh, process that. It, as Tesla, you said, warns when you first engage the system, you're supposed to keep your hands, if not on the wheel, near the wheel. You're supposed to stay engaged with the driving. But Volvo and some of the other car makers are taking a completely different approach where they're not even offering the pedals. The straight. They don't want you to engage at all. In fact, please do something else than try to uh, backseat drive from our vehicles. Now, does that change? Do you think that's more likely where we'll end up going? Or, I mean, studies have shown most people still prefer to have some control, but where do you see that trending? Well, the artificial intelligence needed to make the cars fully autonomous, the car makes all the decisions for you, I think is still going to be many at least a decade away. We're not going to be able to buy that anytime soon. Well, don't tell Volvo. Well, so the thing is, is that we, here's what car manufacturers do. is they Most car manufacturing is the promise of great stuff, not the deliverables. So everyone's, everyone, every car is sporty, no matter what car it is. Every car has got self-driving features. Well, you know, it, as my mother tells me quite frequently, I am smart i am capable apparently the cars are going to start telling us that or at least selling themselves better but we will pick that up after the break you're listening to buzz off with lawyer liz 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation passport transport the first and finest today that's why passport transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers concours museums tours and collectors and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. And as my father used to claim, his minivan was actually a Ferrari in disguise, except for it couldn't corner like a Ferrari, couldn't go as fast as a Ferrari, and it wasn't even the right color that Ferrari uh, issued any. Just because you say it's a sporty car or something, it doesn't necessarily make it. So, Rob, how do we adjust for that? I mean, if you get a leaf, you can't go that far. It's, you know, if you get an autonomous car, it's not truly autonomous just yet. I mean, what, yeah, but, what kind of sales job is that going to take? But look at the features for what for what the Tesla actually does or what uh, – the competitors have so we have the the Infinity has the self driving feature. The Mercedes high end Mercedes has a self driving feature. So other cars have it other than Tesla, and it's it's a fairly cheap feature. It's coming down market very quickly, so that in three years you'll start getting on Honda Civics and stuff. Well, so, and how do those features work and so, from the basic mechanical standpoint? So the way it works is that um, for at least for the Tesla is that they're are two basic sensors that it's using for self-driving, one of which is a forward-facing radar system that sees objects far away very well. And then it has a camera, and it has artificial intelligence algorithms to, to be able to identify, hey, that's a car there, that's a bicyclist, that's a pedestrian. And most importantly, here's where the lane markings are on the road. So the upshot of that is that when you're on the freeway and there's a traffic jam, you just put it into self-driving mode. And it stays in the lane, it steers and stays in the lane, it stops when it needs to, it goes when it needs to. If and it's reading things correctly. I mean, if it's reading things correctly. There are a few folks, I mean, there was even an accident reported last week, luckily not fatal as the other one, but it doesn't always read. the. I mean, it's only as good as the surroundings if the road lane markings have been torn up in a recent right. snowstorm streets were plowed down i mean it uh you you watch it in action actually and you it, it's got it tries to show you the lane that you're in and nearby cars as a represent a little representative thing on the dashboard display and when it's blue it's recognizing it when it's not blue it's failed to recognize it and you can often see when it fails to see the lane markings because then it, that that like that side of the lane turns white rather than blue meaning that it's not sure anymore well and it it raises 
a question in my mind, too, because there are certain parts of the state of Georgia and certainly once you get into the Midwest and out west where paved roads are not everywhere. I mean, you're not always going to have those. Who, right, but who bears the cost if we then have to start paving the roads? Well, f- for one thing, go back to what this, this why you want to have this feature in a $30,000 Honda. And the reason is, is that... Because it's cool and it's sporty. Be- because it makes commuting to work great. So the, if you think of self-driving or autonomous cars working for mostly people want to use them to commute to work, you're going to have lane markings there. If you want this to drive you out in the mountains, well, it's, already we have this problem with GPS having bad information on people's mapping systems in their car, where people will happily drive into a lake or drive off into a snowstorm in the middle of a forest somewhere and, like, die because they can't drive out. But what you're saying so, is for the folks who are driving in from uh, outlying uh, suburban or you know, farming communities that don't have the paved roads, they don't work? They're not going to work. And they're going to work for a decade or two decades. It's going to take a many long time. Oh, no, I'm saying the people aren't working. Well, well no, it's, it's not for city dwellers that say, hey, I, I want to go to this country cabin. And then so they follow the GPS, and the GPS, for some reason, takes them right through the middle of a lake. And they'll just happily drive to the lake. That was a story that happened like six months ago. as People were driving along, following the GPS, and drove into a lake. At some point, it seems to me you would bear some responsibility. Oh. It almost happened to me at, at Yosemite last summer. We, uh, we were, I was blindly following Google Maps, and it took me right up this really steep, narrow, winding road uh, in this terrible minivan that we had rented that was not necessarily designed for the conditions that it was in. We survived, but we were like kissing the ground when we got to the top of the mountain. There was a nice paved road that we could have taken, but uh, it wasn't the most efficient route, and so that's not where the uh, the directions told us to go. So what happens in the meantime? I mean, if you if you were in a fully uh, self-driving car that made these wrong decisions, would it be fasten your seatbelts, kids? It's about to get interesting. Or it was. <laughs> I so I think that so right now we have a way of dealing with liability with respect to vehicles that's entirely focused on the driver because the driver is entirely responsible for what the vehicle does. And I think that over time we're going to transition to thinking about it. Um, more as a process and less as a, 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 a thing that is an individual's responsibility. So Actually, I, I would disagree with you on yeah. that. Okay. So we, we've got this, this story, this, uh, the, this trope, this uh, cliche out there, which is that car companies don't care about sec- security or safety. Okay. And we always blame the car companies. So it doesn't matter what happens, we're going to blame the car companies. So that's what happened with Toyota uh, about five years ago, is they had the sudden acceleration thing. Right. And the actual cause, when the uh, government NT, uh, National Highway Transport Safety Administration looked at it and analyzed it, they found the reason was because confused people pressed the accelerator and not the brake. And that's why this was it a design problem where the accelerator and the it brake was a human, should have been? It was a human problem. That they, this is where sudden acceleration really always happens. It's confused people press the accelerator instead of the brake and think they press the brake and, get, and they panic and press harder on the accelerator. So what happens so, when so, you, so the thing mm-hmm. is, but... Toyota had to spend billions of dollars in legal fines and legal fees to clean up this problem that was not their problem. Because we always put in the car company and we always say, hey, car companies don't care about security, their safety. Well, and then how do you balance that with the, uh, was it Takata airbags that 
and that's not the manufacturer themselves. And I know it cuts across the board depending on which car you're talking about. But how do you build in some sort of process where the airbags aren't going to deploy properly and you have people becoming injured? So it wasn't necessarily – in that case, I mean, is there a balance? But even, is there- in, even in that case, the news is twisted by the story that the manufacturer knew about it, could have done something about it. When in reality, hindsight's twenty twenty. Always looking back, it always looks like it's something they could have done to solve this rather than something in foresight when they really can't. They, they don't want to have this problem. You know, we, we imagine that, hey, they're, they're just like bean counters and want to save five cents and not use the right part. That's not really the truth. The truth is is that they can't measure the risk ahead of time. And that's why they're choosing the five-cent production. So it's they can't see the difference in the risk. Okay, but I, I don't think we're disagreeing. It's, 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 the, it's the approach that you take to the problem. Are you thinking objectively about the process and how to improve it, or are you looking to, to, for somebody to be angry with? And so, um, you know, for example, a couple of years ago, there was a guy who was a pilot uh, um, in Europe. He he like waited for the other pilot to go out to go to the bathroom, and he locked the door uh, to the to the cabin and crashed the plane into a mountain. And you know, you, you look at that, and and um, you know, of course, that guy's responsible for what happened, but that doesn't really matter because he's dead. Um, holding pilots responsible in, in situations like that isn't going to fix it. How do we change the, the procedures and rules around that so that we don't so that we mitigate the risk? And so, um, you know, now um, there has to be at least two people in the cabinet every time, so you can't have a single individual, you know, lock the lock the rest of the pilots out, right? So, so how can you take an objective look at the situation and ask how can we improve the technology or the process in order to avoid this condition in the future and and move forward in a in a in a thoughtful way? And I, I think that that's the way that we need to begin to approach these problems. Well, and you see, you saw some changes and some improvements in the process coming out of, keep going back to the disclosures, the reports on the Jeep Cherokee, and the FAA ran into this problem with a a different researcher who had identified, and whether you follow and have verified his research or just on the assumption that Regardless, it was a dangerous risk where what happens when you report or discover vulnerability and there isn't a process. I mean, the FAA had no process in which a security vulnerability could get every plane that was susceptible off. There was just, there's no reporting procedures. How do you work within that? I mean, I know there's been legislation proposed at the federal level, but do we want states to take up their own approach? Do we want, uh, you know, if the federal government doesn't do that, how do you fix that? I mean, should there be in security soft, uh, responsible vulnerability disclosure program or bug bounties even where you there's a process of I report it to you, I show you, I, you know, I validate my research or give you time to confirm, and then if you don't, I mean, how does that apply when we're talking about autonomous cars and I don't have a brake pedal in my vehicle. Well, so security vulnerabilities are, are particularly difficult to deal with because people tend to react emotionally to them and they go through this 
process of grief when you disclose a vulnerability where it's denial and then they're trying to shoot the messenger and um, uh, getting people to the point where they have acceptance and they understand these things and think about them objectively um, uh, is is important and there are things going on at the federal level in the United States that are they're not legislative they're just sort of facilitation of dialogue is how I would characterize them but it's about getting automobile manufacturers and some of these other IOT uh, uh, sort of vendors to to talk about and understand the those processes before they end up in a position where they actually have to have to deal with them so that at least the the people in the organization know what a security vulnerability disclosure is um, they're prepared to deal with that they have a process in place um, and they and they understand how to execute that process and they're not looking at some guy saying hey I figured out how to make your car crash and, <laughs> and just simply telling him to, to shut up or suing him out of existence well and Rob you brought up an interesting aspect of it some of this is by design that they're taking all these data points and creating these uh, artificial intelligence algorithms that are analyzing everything. And as someone who's a passenger in a car like that, I mean, there was a recent article, and we're about to jump into a break, so when we get back, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what are some of the ethical considerations? I mean, how do you program the analysis of and the if this then that when it comes to vehicles and personal safety of your as the passengers but also the crowd so you're listening to buzz off with lawyer liz we'll be right back after this commercial break when four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, exclusively on America's Web Radio. And right before the break, we were talking about the different, well, how do you, with driverless cars, how do you report vulnerabilities? How do you fix the problems as they're coming up rather than waiting for uh, mass casualties or you know, how do car manufacturers show that quote unquote they care? But going back to one of the issues we had, uh, Rob, one of the guests, as well as Tom Cross, but Rob brought up the data analytics that the cars and the sensors and the computers are analyzing information. And a recent MIT a study showed, brought up the ethical issues of who is protected. Is it the, is the car's AI protecting the passenger at all costs? Or are they also concerned about the other vehicle's personal property, persons surrounding? And so, Rob, from what I understand during the break, you have a cattle guard on the front of your Tesla, and you frequently yell, uh, similar to... Uh, the scene in Animal House, ramming speed? Yeah, I, I play uh, Death Race 2000 in my car all the time. I go for the high score. Excellent. No, and no, but, it, but seriously, the uh, this MIT study is actually kind of nonsense. Is uh, People are sitting in their little ivory towers thinking up abstract problems that don't really exist in the real world. What the study is trying to think of is the what we call the trolley problem, where you're, you're, you're on a trolley, and it's it's barreling down the tracks out of control, and um, it, you can see that there's a bunch of people that's going to run over. But if you can divert it onto the side track, which you, you you've got the chance right now to do, there's only one person there. Do you divert it and kill the one person, or do you take no action and let it kill several people? So, um, but all the while, as the passenger, you're still okay. What happens if so? So the thing is, so that's. Kind of a nonsense problem. We're trying to think of the worst case scenario. In the reality, we're never going to actually be on a trolley, never experience the problem. The same thing for the car. Um, in reality, is the, the obstacles that you have in the car are other cars, and you don't want to crash into them because there's drivers in the other cars who will die, and you will die. So the, the idea that there's really that there's lots of situations out there where there's a separation between saving the driver or saving the pedestrian, those things are exceedingly rare and so rare that we don't really need to consider them. It's, it's a sort of a fantasy they have that they think that they're in their little academic ivory towers and making <laughs> a difference, but they're not. In other words, you are perfectly okay then uh, knocking Again, like bowling pins, just out of the way. Your car is not going to go up on the curve and hit pedestrian. That's just so the, the car is built to not crash into things. So and that's <laughs> and that's all that we need to care about. Here's my autonomous vehicle sort of nightmare, and it's it's not that that those situations would happen naturally, but but that the that the vehicle would be used either as a weapon or as a weapons platform. Like the hardest thing about driving a van full of explosives into a building is finding a guy to drive it. Uh, and so once you have vehicles that will drive themselves, that's that's the thing that, that I sort of lose a little bit of sleep about. It's like they're they're readily accessible. Everybody's Honda can drive itself. Um, you know, will, will people do things with these that uh, with these vehicles that they're, that they're not You've already been able to tie down the steering wheel and make it go 
in a straight line very fast. Yeah. The, the but that requires the, the reason, proximity to the vehicle. I mean, when this is a little bit more sophisticated. So the reason that you have the road here. That you have um, suicide bombers is not because they can't do the same thing without suicide. It's it's the message that the suicide sends. Okay. It is so much worse. So if you if you go into like you know the, the bombings in Turkey and stuff or in Brussels and the airports, um, it's like they, they had the suicide vests on. Well, they could just actually put the bomb in the luggage, left the luggage there, and ran away, and then ignited it from like hundred feet away or behind the corner. So the idea that these become much worse, yeah, I think, is fanciful. So what you're saying is I should stop watching so many horror movies and. Uh, action spy TV shows that have convinced me that somebody's going to be held hostage and uh, put, in an autonomous uh, put into an autonomous vehicle. I mean, right. uh, you know, Silicon Valley showed me, uh, what was it, a season or two, poor Jared uh, got stuck in a Google or a spoofed Google car and ended up on a <laughs> container ship you know, somewhere. I mean, that's more my fear, that the car's going to, a glitch will happen and I, ha- I am powerless to stop it. Whereas if a glitch happens in my car now, I can either put on the emergency brake or I can do something. Now, Rob is shaking his head no that uh, I've, I've been the, watching too many movies the, the, again. The Tesla has no emergency brake that you, get, you can control. It's got a button that you'll suggest to the computer that, hey, maybe you should brake, but that's about it. So you've already given up... Uh, your uh, safety in it. So how do you how do you drag race? How do you uh, drift if there's no emergency brake to pull? <laughs> well, that's a good, good, good question. I mean, I, I haven't been out drifting in my car, so I, I don't know the answer to that. Wow! I, gosh, Rob, I think we're going to have to take the keys away from you, and uh, Tom and I will be happy to really give a car its workout now that we know you're just not testing the limits. But really, I mean. Is there some analysis where it is cost-benefit of do we turn left, do we turn right, you know, assessing the different obstacles in that route? So what I, what I think is interesting maybe is the tension between, you know, so you're talking about as the person in the vehicle having to be able to have control of the vehicle versus the computer, uh, you know, having control. Or so in the scenario that I'm talking about, perhaps where or that you're describing where somebody has taken control of the computer remotely or someone else is providing an instructions who's not the person inside the vehicle, you know, who. So there's a tension between designing those systems in such a way that they are protected uh, um, from from, uh, you know, they, they basically protect themselves from their own user. Right, they don't want to give the user control. The the computer programmer has control versus having a, a, a system that's open that people can tinker with that they can take apart. Do, do you see what I'm getting with that? Oh no, absolutely. I'm, but of course, in my mind, I'm thinking of the country uh, song. Was it Jesus Take the Wheel? Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I've. We've completely crossed over into person of interest territory where when we're saying Jesus take the wheel, we mean our machine overlord, Samaritan AI. Uh, But is it the same thing? I mean, just putting faith and trust in something else? Well, it's it's putting faith in a process, uh, which is the same thing you do when you get in an airplane. You're not flying it, and you're not responsible for its maintenance, and there's all these people running around doing all these things and you know some of it's automated and some of it's manual but it's all according to to a process and and uh it's pretty safe 
and you you have confidence that everyone is doing their job. So I, I think though that you're you're asking the wrong question about whether we should trust the AI, and of course we should trust our machine overlords. The problem is <laughs> though, is that the AI is not the one making the decisions. The one making the decisions in my case is the Tesla car company. Is my car. Um, whether I wanted to or not, there's no way to turn it off. It's constantly sending my location and all this telemetry back up to Tesla. And Tesla uses this to make the car better. For example, they know where the lanes are now on the roads because people have driven them on a Tesla. So they can do the, they, can, they can create their own map, even though they use like Google Maps and stuff, they can create their own map now based solely on the information of where their drivers have gone. So they know there's a road there because a Tesla driver has driven it recently. Now, did your insurance go rates increase or decrease based on uh, you found with a car that has these features? Did did that even come up? How often do you plan to use well, this? Once they've been around for 10 years, then the insurance companies will probably change their rates. But my point is is that um, you asked the ethical question originally about whether, you know, should the, should the car protect the passenger, I mean, the, the driver, people inside the car, or should mm-hmm. the, the car protect the pedestrians on the road? That's an ethical question. But the real ethical question is, is that should, let's say, the government uh, mandate features in your car for the benefit of society as a whole that are that are adverse to the driver in particular. And we already actually have that because right, right now cars already have these little black boxes inside them that if you are in an accident and you're the one to, to blame, will prove that, which means that they're hostile to you, but they're required to be there for the benefit of society as a whole. Well, and it raises the kind of follow-up is, so who gets the ticket? Because we are a society based on blame. Somebody has to pay for it. Somebody's responsible. So, so if your car is like, like older than, like, uh, newer than like year 2000, you've got one of these little black boxes whose design is just to punish you if you drive badly. Well, and when you look at some of these autonomous vehicles, going back to the model of, or the approach that Volvo is taking and other manufacturers are taking it where it's completely on the car and its systems and the car manufacturer, as opposed to Tesla's kind of, and Mercedes and some of the others you mentioned, Rob, where there is some driver responsibility, how does, who gets the ticket? If I didn't have a an ability to press the brake or you know, flip the turn signal, if the car then causes an accident, do I have an excuse or a reason not to get the ticket? Well, all the data is now in the hands of either in the car or just been shipped up to Tesla, so the government can take a look at it and judge me about whether I did right or wrong. But who gets the so my, the Blaine. point that I've been trying to make is is that is that I think we got to move to to instead of looking at like who gets the blame, we got to move to looking at why did this process fail. Um, if, if we have an autonomous system failure, it's like, why did the, the autonomous system fail? What, what condition did it not anticipate? And how can we fix it so that it correctly deals with that con- set of conditions in the future? Um, and where you get into liability, it's, it's a different sort of liability. Instead of having to do with the fact that this autonomous system failed in this context, which you didn't anticipate, it has to do with, did you do the requisite amount of testing of this system before you deployed it? To, and, and those things are very difficult to answer. How do you set Standards for uh, for what amount of testing um, uh, you, you know is 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 adequate before you deploy a system like this into the world and 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 th- and th- of course those 
if you're too uh, sort of overbearing in regulating that, you can you can definitely uh, slow down innovation and, and create a situation where people can't well, bring new things to market. So, and on behalf of the legal profession, if y'all are if driverless cars are going to take away really the ambulance chasing uh, portion of the industry, <laughs> the DUI. We, we all want to put lawyers out of business. That's but that's okay because we, objective. We're kind of like cockroaches that we'll survive. We will be okay because <laughs> somebody we look we look forward to uh, suing the manufacturers, the testers, you know, all of that. But really, it the fear is from my perspective, and I'm sure y'all aren't uh, too, is the chilling of innovation. So we're about to. Jump into our last commercial break. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. But when we get back, we will take a look at how do we not, how do we avoid the chilling of innovation? Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. Follow us or follow me on Twitter at Lawyer Liz. Follow the show and catch podcasts of prior episodes at America's WebRadio.com. And right before the break, we were talking about an how do you keep from chilling the innovation? How do you encourage companies, individuals, researchers, you know, 
the daydreaming, the building and growing. I mean, with the drone industry, because of or as a side effect of the government's or the FAA's clamping down on implementation of the aircraft, you saw a lot of the research go overseas. How do we keep that from happening, or has it already happened in autonomous vehicles? I mean, y'all are both security researchers, and when you see things, of course your mind starts thinking of all the what-ifs and how about and, hey, check this out. How do we keep you thinking like that? Well, can I say, kind of throw out, like, don't try to solve problems that haven't actually happened yet? Um, people have a tendency to, um, you know, be afraid of things that might happen with technology, and they anticipate these these problems, and then someone will try to uh, announce that they're going to solve it with this piece of legislation, and you get this law out there that, um, you know, is not informed by real world. Like, we don't need somebody to go pass a law to solve the, the trolley scenario that's never going to happen in the real world. We need the legislation to be responsive to actual real-world problems and not, you know, the sort of theories or fantasies that we might have about the future. And I did not set Tom up for that, but I could not thank him enough. I mean, that is one of my main, you know, educate and engage, help the legislators, help the elected officials, help the decision makers understand that if you're trying to shut down all of the what-ifs, you're when it comes to technology, you're already a day late, a dollar short, you can't catch up. But what you can do is kind of understand and leave some flexibility so that there's the opportunity to, well, let's see what happens and go from there. The, the, it should not matter, or it should be agnostic how a harm occurred. In some cases, was it uh, taking a picture where you shouldn't be by drone or by standing on right. a stepladder? You know, it, if focus on human behaviors and the, the and the consequences of human behaviors, and rather than focusing on legislating the technology itself, um, because that becomes very brittle. And the technology is constantly changing, and really, the concern is 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 whatever the human consequences are. It's basically another way of saying what I think what you're saying. Well, absolutely. And Rob, I mean, what when you are sitting behind the wheel of your Tesla? I mean, what can we do to make it better or do you just enjoy well one thing is is to empower the individual we have this imagination that is tesla doing the innovation here and it's really not tesla is a car company builds it based they've got like 30,000 suppliers when you when you combine all the parts that go into building a tesla it's it's throughout the car industry they don't make their own seats someone makes their seats they don't make the self-driving feature it's a, it's a company called mobileye it does the the the, the, uh, the self-driving feature so the thing is, is that we want to enable everyone to innovate. We want to motivate some 13-year-old kid who's got an idea like, hey, maybe if I do this little, write this little software for my Tesla, I could do something cool with it. So, and I point this out because we have this idea that it's the car companies that do the innovation. The car company, car companies need to be protected for the innovation. And from a cybersecurity point of view, we see that come out as when cybersecurity people look for flaws in like cars, um, the car companies get mad and want rules and regulations that stop us. They recently tried to lobby the, uh, the copyright controls to have it so that hackers or cybersecurity researchers could not read the source code or the code, the computer code within the car, and that doing so would be illegal. 
audience because that'd be a copyright violation. Well, and, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to stop bad news. They're trying to stop us from finding flaws that would help people because that hurts their bottom line. Well, you see that, too. States like Michigan had uh, two different proposals that were moving to the legislature that would make it a crime to access the software, to intentionally do things. And what it was overlooking in large part was the research that even the evil core car manufacturers would want to do their own testing and research. But if they used a third party to do so, it would criminally it became a it would become a felony. Yeah, the, the the Michigan law would make it a felony for you to 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 change something in your own car. To like you want to change the software to change how the emissions work to get more power in your car, which right now is okay. Well, frowned upon, but would make it a felony that you go to jail for fifteen years because you'd be now controlling the car, taking control away from the car manufacturer. Well, and two, you see that with farmers and with their precision ag equipment where a lot of it is autonomous. I mean, that's sort of the original autonomous vehicles. A lot of the tractors are using GPS uh, positioning systems to plow the fields where all the farmers are sitting there and able to concentrate on other things and do other things. Yes, I'm sure they are looking at Facebook. And uh, you're in this nice air conditioned cab, and you're sitting there with your phone reading Facebook as the as the combine just goes back and harvests everything for you. Well, absolutely, you know. And it, how else can you do that? But if you want to, if the software, if the uh, tractor breaks down, you have to wait for someone from the manufacturer even to download certain updates. Uh, Force you, and of course. Everyone downloads all the latest updates on their apps and fix, you know, patches everything. My Tesla is about every two weeks it gets an update. I say that's much better compared to. And it's really annoying because it wipes out all the radio stations that pass. Oh no! It's <laughs> wait, they're messing with your music. They're messing with my music. Uh, oh, that really is uh, that is a big no no. No driver controls the radio. It gets to be the DJ. I know you think right. But well, gentlemen, thank you for joining today. We had Rob Graham with Arata Security and Tom Cross with Drawbridge Networks. Tom, is there a how can folks follow up with you? Twitter, learn more about your company. Oh, um, yeah, we're a, we're a cybersecurity company. We're Drawbridge.io and. Uh, I'm on Twitter as, as at underscore D-E-C-I-U-S underscore. Excellent. And, Rob, if, if folks want to follow along with your musings on Twitter, they so can... I usually troll on Twitter. If you like trolling, it's Errata Rob, E-R-R-A-T-A-R-O-B. Excellent. Well, thank you again, gentlemen, for sharing a few thoughts. A lot to think about, especially as you see more of the manufacturers, both in autonomous vehicles, but be it vehicles on the ground as well as there with drones and automating a lot of the features. Well, thanks again to everyone for listening in to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'd like to give a thank you to Hall Booth Smith. Find us online at hallboothsmith.com and you know, keep up with all the buzz that was and all the buzz that will be on the website for America's Web Radio show page for Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. Follow me on Twitter at 
Lawyer Liz and catch us live each Wednesday from 2 to 3 in the afternoon. You get if you chime into the website, you can see a live stream and I'd like to confirm that once again both guests are fully clothed and uh, no one went through on their promise to or threat to show up at Sans Pants. Is that why we have a webcam in here? Just to yes. keep us honest. To yeah. keep y'all okay. honest. Uh, you know, I oh Lord help us. But anyway, until next time, thanks again. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.